I think, uh, okay, so I don't know if my father remembers this, and I don't know if, my mom definitely don't know this. I don't think she does. Uh, I don't think my grandma remembers this, but there's this once when I was in, I would say around fifth grade to seventh grade, around that time. I remember when we're, we're on a family trip and at a motel, and um, I was looking out the window and I was really sad and depressed then too. But I, I was stressed. I was really stressed. out. I didn't know how to do it. And the reason why I was really sad and depressed is because I didn't move in with mom and dad until fifth grade, you know. So I lived with my grandparents and I had bad grades all my life. So I know I don't look like a person that would have bad grades, but I had terrible grades. And uh, in Taiwan, they spank you. And also, I was a pretty naughty kid, so I brought it upon myself. And I was having a great time, actually. I didn't mind getting spanked at all. Like, the teachers, this one time, the teachers hit me so hard that she broke her cane on my leg. And she had to apologize because she made, like, a boil on my leg from hitting me, like, so many times and broke it. But then I got spanked by my uncle that night because... uh. So they don't just go, oh, they, they hit you again because you fucked up, you know. Um, so coming from that, it's not the spanking that affected me because there's other also other troublemakers that I would. They're my friends because we just want to have a goofy good time. And so I never cared about a spanking. What matters most is that. When you go home and the energy, because now you're away from your troublemaker friends. Now you're away from like recess and like, you know, because th those are little moments throughout the day that is like, it makes it fun. Nothing else was fun to me, you know, and I didn't like school, you know. Yeah. And all of those things. Um, but what was the worst thing is that going home, um, my it wasn't the fact that my parents spanked me too. That I didn't mind either. Is the fact that I don't get to go. I can't escape it. I can't escape the bad energy. I feel like kids, it doesn't matter in what culture, what country. The energy of parents is everything. Like you go home, there's a certain like feeling that you feel right when you even approaching the house you feel the darkness looming so it's like every time i'm even going home i'm just like man i don't want to this is the worst and at the time you don't even know how to express that because that's just a normal thing to do you just go home but you just have this like really heavy feeling like why am i like i don't want it like how this feels bad but at the time you don't even think about it you don't think like oh this feels bad you just go oh this is part of it but it's like wearing on you. But nobody ever addresses it. Nobody talks about it. It wasn't a thing. But we all feel it. That's just part of life. So 
and it wasn't like like we talk about it like oh you know yesterday I didn't want to go home because my father was beating me up you don't say that because everybody was getting it so it's like it's just normal you know and uh, coming from that because obviously and I totally understand why parents wouldn't talk about mental health is because their generation is they had their parents was in at war so if you're at war uh, you, you you will be even more traumatized when you go home and you know you don't even know there's no communication there's no way there's communication when your parents is that when your father's at war and your mom is just trying to keep the family together so from that uh, now our generation's parents they're not great at communicating either and they're just doing their best as well so um, coming from that it's just hard to tell your parents that you're you're anything mentally so I, I still wanted to address uh, go back to addressing the hotel room thing I so I was in a hotel the hotel motel room and we're on a family trip and uh, I looked out the window and I was like man sometimes I want to jump like to my grandma and I was like she's like what are you talking about and then I was like yeah sometimes I'm just like man it would have been would have been good just ended like <laughs> this was like in fifth grade seventh grade I was like would have been it just ended like everything would just go away kablow you know and then my grandma's like what are you even saying and then I was like yeah like sometimes you know I just want to kill myself right and then and I meant it and she knew I meant it because she's like what are you saying Jason like she looked a little concerned I remember that and then uh, my dad came to the back to the hotel. Excuse me. My dad came back to the hotel, and my grandma, my grandma's a snitch, by the way. She would she tells my parents everything. So she just in front of me, like maybe like five six feet away, and she told my dad like whispers something. She told him like I could half hear it, and my dad immediately was like. He's not brave enough. Like like in Mandarin, he said that. And like, so off of that, obviously over time, and this is like, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And obviously over time, he would, he's a little more understanding now and a little more chill now than before. Uh, but it is difficult to tell your parents that, because mental health, like everybody knows, it isn't something that you could see. It's like if you break your leg, then it's like, yeah, everybody sees it. And everybody's like, oh, you OK? You, your leg's broken. But then nobody sees what's inside of your head. So even if it's even if you're de decapita decapitated, it's a new word. English language is a very interesting and vicarious language. <laughs> decapitated. Um, even if you're decapitated in the brain, nobody sees, nobody sees it. So nobody would be concerned. So even if you're like really, really struggling mentally, if you don't have the tools or capability to express yourself to others, which is another skill, like a lot of people in over, I mean, everywhere in the world, but especially in the Asian culture, Nobody, everybody was taught to do what they're told. Nobody was asked 
or taught to critical think. The, I remember it was in Miramar College in San Diego. It was an English class, and that was the first time ever that I even learned the word, the, phrase, the term critical thinking, and I didn't know what that was. Every, every class, the teacher, Mr. Aaron Sibia, he would talk about critical thinking every class, but I never learned it until maybe five years ago. And I was in college, you know, like 10 odd years ago. But I never, even when he was trying to explain what critical thinking is, that wasn't a term that was, I couldn't grasp it. Uh, maybe, maybe it was the weed or the ecstasy. <laughs> maybe it was the drinking. I don't know. But, or maybe it was just, it wasn't paying full attention. Maybe it was all of them combined that I didn't grasp it because the way, you know, the Asian culture is and the way I grew up um, for not everybody, but in general, is that um, you just do what you're told always and don't think for yourself. Don't ask questions. I mean, even when teacher says uh, anybody has any questions, they don't mean it. Because, I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in Asia, in Asia the uh, class sizes are a lot bigger. So when I was in, like, you know, first grade, the, there was, like, 60 people in the class. And that was, like, a normal amount of people. Um, yeah, so the, the teachers, what, every, what everybody has a question, and now it's, like, you know. So you just go study on your own and figure it out later in the textbooks. So uh, never taught uh, to critical think. So, um being in that environment, having the parents growing up that way, even even in a more intense generation, uh, that being a part of it, and even, uh, and also I would like to say that I'm more sensitive uh, mentally, or just more sensitive in energy and in um, feelings, and more introspective than some others, and uh, so with all of those things combined those and probably even other things that so it is a difficult thing to speak to your parents about it because in the beginning they would think that why would you need it like we are you know 50 60 70 years old we didn't take one session like why would you need it but it's i think is the most important I mean, every part of your health is important, but mental, like without mental, you have nothing. Without a leg, you could still go places. You know, without two legs, you could still go places. It'll be very difficult. But sorry, I, I, I'm not supposed to laugh, but sorry for the legless people out there. Um, Actually, you know, I actually followed, this is a sidebar, but... I followed this veteran. Um, I forgot his name, but he inspired me so much because he, I think he only has one leg and like one arm and that, and he was a veteran. And that to me is, and he's doing amazing things. He's giving speeches. He's like teaching classes. I don't know. Just things like that. Like is so, and having a, this is the most important thing, having a positive outlook because he's seen the worst of humanity. And that took a huge toll on him physically and mentally. And then be able to still be positive and give more of himself to others. That is incredible. Because I, I, we complain about weather. 
I live in LA. Do you know how many people complain about weather if it goes like under 60? They're like, oh my gosh, it's so fucking cold today. We complain, or I do. I complain if water's too cold too. I'm like, this is too many ice cubes. It's hurting my teeth. And this guy has no leg and no arm and he's inspiring other people. So the utmost respect and love to everybody in general, but also to the people that has a difficult life and still could um persevere that uh so i just want to preface that and uh back to what i was saying about being um uh yeah if, if you don't have any legs or or any like blind or whatever the thing that disability might be um you could still go on technically but without mental you can't have the comprehension or skills you know what i mean so and a lot of it is nature and also a lot of it is nurture like for example we were talking about conversating and expressing your feelings going back to the culture nobody was taught to do that and it was shunned upon it was shamed that if you would express your feelings in the western culture as well but extremely especially in the asian culture so if you are you know, if you were taught never to think for yourself and just do what you're told your whole life, yeah, I don't blame my parents if they it's hard for them to, um, or anyone to not be able to express themselves because it does take effort and practice to even know how to express yourself precisely enough so that other people could understand you. And everybody has their own way of thinking already. And everybody has uh, their own kind of understanding. So to be able to have a lot of people understand how you feel um, is already the first hurdle that people have to cross. And that is already so hard. And the second thing is for people who are shamed to express themselves for so long to now even if you do know how to express yourself you need to now be courageous enough to express your feelings and be vulnerable because if you say it and people whatever trauma that you may have people would you know either shame you make fun of you that is the thing that is the thing but i'm really glad that nowadays people are more accepting most people i mean i'm sure there's still people who are more traditional that would be like you know we you don't need that just you know many of us don't even have the opportunity or resources to see a therapist to see a therapist and i totally understand that i completely understand but that's why i really think that uh mental health is something that should be accessible and free um especially in america i mean some countries they're still struggling with water so we're already lucky enough lucky enough that we have the resources uh to be seen you know mentally uh but yeah like um but i think also this is another thing like talking to your parents about your mental health it's just sometimes they're i don't know if stuck in their ways is the best way to describe their um perspective and their mental state but uh 
you know, I think at some point they also accepted who they are, their past and their present, and they're trying to enjoy their life too. And um, I think it, I, I don't know. I think that has to do with a lot of personality and the way you were taught as well. Some people, even if they get older, they still seek um, seek to interact with the younger generation because they want to stay relevant. They want to stay, um, I don't know how to express it, but maybe linear in life because they still want to learn the new and be know like what's, how are the younger generation, how, what are they talking about? Like what's new and how are they communicating? But I feel like for a lot of uh, older adults, um, they just want to have a good time. They just want to accept who they are and uh, enjoy life as well. And I think, because, and also they're, they, they only have so much energy to spend during the day already. They work their whole lives. So they want to take it a little more easy. They don't want to use any more mental or physical energy to do anything that's unnecessary. So um, because of those reasons, it's still it, it's still difficult to have that conversation and have the parents to be like, oh, yeah, let me learn what like this whole mental how you feel, you know, like how how are people feeling these days? Like, what is the introspectiveness of things? Um uh, because at the end of the day, they still have to work. They still have to make a, a living if they're not retired yet. Um, so, yeah, so that's another difficult part because they have their lives, you know, too. And it does take a lot of energy. But I, th I still think is ne not necessary, but I think it's still it's a good thing to bring up um, like not to have a conversation, but at least to express to your parents that, hey, this is a thing. So because at the very least, you have practiced to express yourself. You communicated with your parents who is your family and or your friends. It doesn't matter who the people that you care about. You, you still expressed it and somebody knows how you feel, you know, so that they could um, they could also they could just know, you know, people you care about. You should express that. Uh, because I'm sure if they really care about you, they would like to know whether or not uh, they would feel like that's a big thing or not. I just think it's just good to tell people how you feel because we're we're human beings and we like in nature we like to we we just interact with each other. We're social animals, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, yeah. So I think it's just good to express yourself then um yeah but um <clears throat> so then when you had your conversation with your parents about going to therapy how what was their reaction how did they take it um i don't think i i didn't i don't think that they never asked me any questions and i did tell them that i was uh doing therapy and I joke around about it in my set in my stand-up shows but I think in their mind for the longest time now I think they feel a little differently but for the longest time 
they were like, oh my God, like, why would you need it? Like, this is even like a year or two ago. And I would tell them, like, I'm very depressed. Like, it's making me very anxious because I wasn't. Okay. And for the listeners out there, I wanted to say this. I, I was the most anxious person. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't sleep well. None of the nights I slept well. And I was eating a lot of sugar to, and I was jerking off all the time. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Be, and that's another issue that we could delve into next time. But jerking off all of it is just to soothe me because like those are those are the things that you know release uh endorphins or serotonin or whatever but um i was doing all i was eating sugar doing that and i was working out i but and i was also smoking cigarettes and i was taking edibles at night um and i was drinking like i was drinking actually a lot but it didn't seem like it because every night i'll be performing at bars and then I'll just be, I'll have a beer. I'll have like two shots here and there. And that's every night. But I'd never get drunk. But I'll just take one just to ease. But think about it. If you do it two every night for seven days, that's 14 drinks. That's already way too many. Like they say you're supposed to have five a week. I mean, nobody's, I mean, some people have 14 drinks every other day, you know. So, But, but I'm just saying it's not healthy to do that. So I was doing that consistently for like two, three, four years uh, when I first started stand-up. Um, and, uh, yeah, so my parents didn't really care about, about him being, he's like, why do you need it? Like, you're fine. You know, like they're like, you have a place to stay, you know, we support you. Um, and so it's like, and then I have a wife, you know, so it's like, what else do you need? But I, I don't think... Um, that's the thing. Like, So th this is another thing I wanted to talk about before I finish talking about this thing is that just because you are you look okay and then you have the resources doesn't mean your mental cannot be the most messed up. Like, That's why a lot of people in Silicon Valley, there's this city i forgot what it's called but it has the highest suicide rates in one city in the entire country but though they also had the highest paying jobs is the thing did you know that yeah so th th you could google it after it's somewhere in silicon valley they have the highest suicide rates in the united states i could be wrong but that's what i read uh, at one point um uh I, I, and then it's just because there's so much pressure and the work environment isn't the best for the mental health. And I'm not speaking as if like, oh man, like if you're okay financially or if you're, if you have an apartment, you have, you know, feel bad for the people. It's like, no, it's like, yeah, the people who are the least fortunate are the ones that struggles most because not only they don't have the resources for, you know, overcoming mental challenges, they don't even have enough resources to, for the daily need, like human needs, like water and food and shelter, you know, um, they're for sure the number ones struggling the most. And, uh, but I'm, but that doesn't, that doesn't cancel out the fact that the people 
who are more fortunate than the people that doesn't have shelter. Like just because you have a, a place to stay, food and water, that, that doesn't mean that your mental health like you why it's like sh th shit happens it's just like earlier when i talk about a broken leg it's like you could be you know joe biden you could be the president still fall off a bike and break your leg is my point you could be trump and go upstairs or f fall a couple stairs or fall a couple times it doesn't matter how powerful how rich you are you could still have a broken mind is the thing. Uh, so, yeah. So, the um, how they react uh, to it is that they didn't. So, my parents was just like, kind of like, uh, you have everything. You have a shelter, food, and water. And you um, have a wife. So, what's the problem? It's like... Yeah, but none of those things are guaranteed. That's number one. And number two, it doesn't matter wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, if you have a partner, is still work. It's not like, and just because you have, the divorce rate is over 50%. That's number one. Um, and in the Asian culture, is way less. Is because they have to save face. They can't let people know that they're... <laughs> relationship is falling apart they have to show that they're perfect so that's even more toxic than to have a divorce and grow um but anyways uh yeah so in the beginning they were really kind of like not caring uh because it, they can't they kind of like why would you i get the feeling you know that they're kind of like just oh you don't really need it like why would you waste money like and be stronger, you know. But that 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 wasn't the right approach. Um, but I think over years of communicating, and by the way, I just started uh, therapy like two years ago. But I always expressed to them that I wasn't mentally well. Oh, this is the point that I wanted for the listeners out there. That I want to tell the listeners that if you are struggling with anxiousness, anxiousness stress and insomnia please try this because it helped me tremendously i started doing the intermittent diet and i i started to eat less sugar it's the hardest thing because i have a very addictive personality my whole life i mean i do stand up for a living so it's like i'm addicted to the rush so i have an extremely addictive personality Intermittent diet helped me, helped me the most physically, mentally, the most because start there. So you could basically eat whatever you want within the eight hour period. Start there and then you cut back to seven, cut back to six. But if you do that for just to set the goal for 30 days, you will see a difference. And if you could do 30, Please, please do three months, do six months. I started to sleep way. I tried everything. I tried melatonin. I tried edibles. I tried alcohol every night and see if I could sleep better. None of them helped. Uh, but doing the intermittent diet helped everything. I slept better. I felt better. 
when I woke up, I wasn't feeling like my because sometimes I get really tight in my neck and my shoulders because I'm so anxious. And um, I just it like it's, sometimes it's so anxious that it's, it, it becomes physical, really physical. Like sometimes I, I there's so many times that I get panic attacks in a car. Like I have to ask uh, Carrie to pull over. Um, just so that I could get out and breathe or I was in um, the subway with my friend Opie Opie he's a great comic um, Opie and me Alagbaju he's gonna be super famous he's working on a show right now but um, I was with him and I was so anxious that I was like I was like getting a panic attack too and I was getting that all the time but I really appreciate and really grateful that hasn't happened recently um doesn't mean that it, w- it won't but and i was on the planes and i get really stressed out on planes because of turbulence i'm a scared cat uh, and they always ask you like are you willing to help i'll tell you yes but it's like definitely not like i'm gonna live first do you know what i mean but anyways um intermittent diet is everything because from there and you could drink water but just in eight-hour period, you could eat whatever you want to as much as you want to, but only within the eight-hour period. So, for example, you could start at 12 noon, and that's your first meal. But by 8, the, at 8 p.m., that's the last thing you eat, and you need nothing else. So you can either start earlier from 1 to 7 or from uh, – no, I mean from 11 to 7 or from like 10 to 6. Just the eight-hour time frame, that's the only time you get to eat. It helps me. It helped me so much. Um, that, and then I started stretching, which is, I mean, we worry about that later, but stretching helps everything too, especially the psoas muscle, like the crotch, the growing muscle. Oh man, that, I feel like that's where the anxiousness, I, I, I think I, I feel like anxiousness was just stored in my crotch muscle, the psoas muscle, because I was stretched like the ballet stretch. I don't know what the ballet stretch, but it's basically like a lunge. And then you just hold it there and you breathe deep into your core, breathe out. I've been doing that for uh, like four years now. And that stretch, every time I stretch, I feel so good. Like, uh, yeah, anyways, I just wanted to give that information out there for people that, you know, might want to try it because it really helped me tremendously. And um, yeah, so, but now, now uh, my parents, I think that they care about my health more. Because I expressed to them that there are a lot of the times I actually called the suicide hotline several times. Um, and I told my therapist that and I just thought it was normal to think about killing yourself every single day. And it's not. And um, I because it just feels like it's easier. And a lot of the times, a lot of like and I still think about this. I'm like, am I a strong enough person? Because sometimes I feel like I'm too weak to live. And I do think that because I'm, I, I, a lot of the times I want, if I want to give up on life, I just feel like what kind of weak person would have that thought, you know, to give up on life, you know? Um, and sometimes when I'm working out and it's too painful, I'm like, what? Just don't do it. It's fine. But I think recently, I don't think the strength is in like, because sometimes people would be like, oh, honor, bef- death before honor. 
death before honor. Like a lot of fighters would say that death before honor, and they want to honor their family, their name, their title, their um, legacy, their skills. And I a hundred percent respect that. A hundred percent. That's so hard. But I think even deeper, even a deeper motivation to live is not. For some, it's definitely honor. But I think for others and for myself, I think. The motivation to live isn't really that for me, at least, because it's embracing all emotions and all things of life. Because I always have this dream, this reoccurring dream when I was younger that I would die and then I just see my body and I just go up really cheesy and really generic you know, just upwards. Uh, and then I'll look at myself and feel nothing. And, but one thing, feel disappointment and emptiness. Because I feel like if you can't, I think it's a privilege to feel not just happiness, but it's also a privilege to feel sadness and anger. Because without, it's like water. You wouldn't know something is hot if you don't know what cold is. If ever, if your whole life all you know is hot, that would just be what that would just be that. Like you wouldn't have a contrast. So you can't be extremely happy if you've never been extremely sad. Like, so what I mean is that I don't know if that makes sense. Like, if you you can't like if you already have something, you feel nothing. Like for example. That's why sometimes I'm really th- sympathetic uh, for kids who are born into the super wealthy, like the billionaires, because they have everything. And and people are like, oh, yeah, they have everything. Like, why are they? They're so lucky that they, they have nothing to complain about. It's like, no, they started at the top. Like, imagine you're imagine you people are climbing Everest and you're at the top already. You know that the, the moment that people make it to the mountaintop and they cry, they break down, they go on their knees, or like they just have this euphoric, uh, surreal experience. The people who are born at the top don't get to have that because they're at the top. They don't know what it's like to struggle. The 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 uh, they don't know what it's like to break something. They don't know what it's like to climb and then fall repeatedly have people doubt you have people shame you be hurt be weak and still have to move forward to the top so you you will only be able to feel happiness and accomplishment if you felt despair if you felt failure if you felt you know depression then when you come out of that you will have relief and you would have that feeling of being the mountaintop. So what I'm saying is that the back to, so giving that reference back to what I was saying about uh, mental health um, and being, um, um, being the, the motivation of the motivation of wh- why to live is so that we can enjoy the, full spectrum of emotions in life um even at the most desperate and moments like when you're in so much pain 
you just want to quit and lay down and die. I think at that moment, this is David Goggins, by the way. David Goggins, this is what he said. He's like, well, what if? For him, it's like, what if you can get out of this? How crazy would that be? Is that what if you could do it? How crazy would you feel that you could get out of that? And to me, is the similar thing, if not the same. Um, the feeling of like, yeah, what what if I get out of it? Because if you die right there, you're not going to... Nobody knows what happens, but I don't. you don't get to have the feeling of like, oh, you did something. You kind of just died, you know? And I and I done many things where I quit many times. So um, I try not to do that. And that's something that I still need to work on and will want to continue to work on because I think it would really be really nice to see myself and others uh, that in the moments that they're very that they want to quit or desperate, um, but come out of that to see myself do that and to see others do that. I think. That's why we watch movies because there's we know what it's like to be beaten down, metaphorically speaking. But we always want the underdog to win because coming out of that is we all know how hard it is. So, um, um, yeah, so I just want to also say that about if you are struggling, um, nobody can tell you how to do it and nobody really can really help you. But I was there a hundred percent, and this is funny. But the therapists, or when you call the suicide hotline, they always ask you, "Hey, do you have anything that you could harm yourself with?" And I always told them no, because if you say yes, I don't want you to be. I don't want you to trip out, and now you call the police, and now I'm arrested and thrown into the, to that to the mental health facility. I'm not stupid. I'm going to tell you the truth. Do I have something to harm myself with? Of course. Who doesn't? There's kitchen knives. There's ropes. There's buildings everywhere. Not not to mention guns. Okay? Everybody does. What kind of stu- I know obviously is there is a protocol and liability to ask and but yeah, I always <laughs> I always told them no. But um but yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, it takes a lot of work. That's the thing. It, you have to. It takes a lot of work to um, start practicing to rewire your brain in a way. Like for example, if your brain is always like this is depression, A to B depression way, right? It's really hard to wire and reroute the road to be like A to C instead of B. And it's really hard because it's like you're so used to this path. Like, oh, depression. Like if something happens, you go, yep, that's I'm sad. So it's really hard to do that. But it's necessary if you want to enjoy the full spectrum of life and not just the depression part and also happiness part. Um, Yeah, so I, I wanted to end this episode or this conversation, one-way conversation. But I would still love to, you know, hear your stories in the comments or email us um, about your experiences. And, uh, yeah, but w- I, it's so hard to give advice. I'm not, the, I only could share my 
story um, because nobody could gave could give me advice and um, change my mind, especially at a time where you're really depressed. So I'm not there. I'm definitely gonna not gonna do that. But um, but I do want to say that um, it's really enjoyable to try. It's it's worth it to try because what if you're not sad every day? What if you could not be sad every day? Wouldn't that be something to not be sad every day and every second? What if you're not sad for an hour today? Wouldn't that be dope? I think that's something to look forward to. So I think trying is a worthy endeavor, at least to me, it's a reminder for myself and hopefully to you. Thank you so much for your time and energy of watching the episode. Um, and I hope that my experience resonated to some of you. Um, and I'll see you. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.